Have any of you ever encountered a whole new world that you didn't know existed? Kind of like Aladdin promised Jasmine to show her a world that she had never seen, to hold her breath because it gets better. I'm not gonna sing that, don't worry. We sometimes encounter situations that blow open our minds to entire new worlds that we've never experienced before. Uh, When we moved to Kansas, I discovered there's this whole nother world in in the sports world that has to do with racing. And I didn't know a lot of people directly, but NASCAR, NASCAR is like a whole foreign world that I'd never seen before. When it comes to hobbies, uh, my daughter Elisa and I uh, went to a city in Germany when we were missionaries overseas where they held a board game convention because we were using board games in a cafe to help reach people in in the city where we were serving. And we came together with over 15,000 people. We're at this board game convention. I never knew such a thing existed. It just blew my mind. There's also also worlds that we hope to never experience, like the crime world, the underworld that you see on television and movies, the black markets. Hopefully those aren't worlds that you know of, but we know that there are these worlds that exist out there. Uh, But one of the worlds that I think is really fascinating is uh, the world that my oldest daughter, Anna, is involved in. It's a coffee world. That there's the coffee culture has its own world out there, a culture of its own. In fact, she was explaining to me that, Dad, there are three waves of coffee and we're living in the third wave. How many of you knew that? Yeah, some of you, yeah, yeah, you're in that world. But, you know, she said the first wave is, is kind of the primitive wave where, you know, you just make a pot of coffee. And I said, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm a primitive coffee drinker. It's a basic beverage just meant to keep you awake. That's about it. My grandparents drank it, you know, in the morning and in the afternoon. They never paid more than 50 cents a cup and they never were going to, right? That was about all that they would pay. She said then the second wave began maybe in the 90s or so when people began experimenting with roasting espresso in different ways, applying pressure and temperature adjustments, and it became a luxury beverage, right? And as a friend of mine uh, says, that's when Six Bucks was born. You know, that, that company that sells coffee uh, that uh, is now a luxury beverage. It's a dessert. It's something you enjoy for pleasure. But she says, but now we're living in this third wave where we're back to the roots, where we're exploring cherry plants and plantations and where coffee came from. And there's direct relationships between the farmer and the retailer. And she said, there's this whole new world where there's even coffee competitions Uh, There's regionals where people go and compete, just like, you know, like a sports regionals or UIL regionals. There's coffee regionals where they compete pulling shots of espresso and making latte art. And then the winners of that go on to the world finals uh, where people all over the world get together and have their throwdowns of coffee competitions. Now that sounds kind of silly to me, but it's a true whole world that's out there and I just don't know it. I don't experience it except through the eyes of my daughter. Why are we talking about this? Well, we're in a sermon series, walking step-by-step through the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Last week, Pastor Julio highlighted for us that prayer is a relationship, and that's where it all begins, right? God is inviting us. The God of the universe is inviting us into a personal relationship with him through prayer, and that we have a connection to him as our Father. And we looked at the Father's character as the, the place where prayer begins. We connect with the character of the Father. But in in today's passage, in the Lord's Prayer, we're gonna see Jesus wanting wanting to show us a whole new world, wanting to show us perhaps something that we haven't seen or we don't see if we don't pay attention to it. 
So today's passage is going to be on the screen. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, it's going to be out of Matthew 6. I'm going to read verses 7 through 13, but our main verse today will be verse 10. All right, so in Matthew chapter 6, it says this, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now these words might be very familiar to you, especially if you've grown up in a church context. Uh, but Jesus starts off in verse 7 with, with a little bit of a warning. He says, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do. He said, the secret in prayer is not that you learn this and just say it over and over again, like as if there's magic in this formula. He says, no, the secret of prayer is, first of all, that you know you're praying to your Father, like we talked about last week, like we prayed here just a few minutes ago. And as you pray to your Father, pray in this way. So as we go through this sermon series, we're going to highlight six steps in this prayer that will hopefully become a model for us to utilize, not just something to recite, right, but something to wield like a weapon in prayer as we go uh, to the Lord. And so we want to learn, well, what does each of these phrases mean and how do we pray using these phrases uh, to, to give focus and sharpness to our prayers. So today's focus is in verse 10, where Jesus tells us to pray in this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the first reminder for us here is this, is that yes, God is our father and he loves us, but God is also our king. And as a king, what it means for us is that he rules over our lives, or at least he intends to rule and to reign in and through our lives. You know, we all love the concept of God being a father, but I think we hesitate a little bit. We might pull back a little bit and say, ah, oh, I don't quite love that part of him being king and what that means for me. But when you look at the gospels and we look at Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, he makes it very clear that this kingdom of God is a perfect blend of the father's love and the Father's authority. All right, let's not take bad images of kingdoms or even negative images of fathers in our lives to distort what God is offering us. He's offering us a perfect blend of love and authority. That's what the kingdom of God is about. You know, the, the good news is that we've been welcomed into the family of God. We've been adopted. That's good news. But also part of that news is that Jesus wants to rule and reign in our lives. That as sons and daughters of God, we have both great privilege and great responsibility. And I think that's why Jesus connects this to your will be done, right? Because we are to submit to our King's will in every area of our lives. And I have to tell you, just I confess, as we were worshiping this morning in the songs, I was realizing, yeah, you know, I, I really come to God as Father and I love that and I love how I can just informally talk to Him. But when is the last time? that I literally just took a knee before him and just said, but you're also my king and I submit to you. When's the last time that we've taken a knee before our king? Not because we're begging him for something, 
but because we're saying, I submit to you. You are my God and my King. You are the perfect blend of love and authority. And so I gladly submit to you. When's the last time we've done that? I tell you, it's been a while for me since I've just knelt before him and said, you are my King, let your will be done in my life. But God invites us to that and, and he loves us in that. And I wanna invite you to do that. And you know, when's the last time you knelt before the King? It's a good thing to kneel before God as our King. But let me also be clear about something else here. That when God says to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, God never intends for his kingdom to be forced on anyone. Do we catch that? That God's kingdom is not something to be forced. And unfortunately, this, this thing has been abused throughout the centuries in history where people have said, oh, well, we're supposed to force people into the kingdom of God by, by sword or by legislative means or whatever it may be. But that's not the way Jesus explains his kingdom to us in the gospels. This perfect blend of love and authority is found all over the parables, right? It's, the, it's where the father sees the son who repents and he chooses to come to him. He chooses to come back home. And what does the father do? He drops all shame and he runs to the son and he embraces him. That's the kind of kingdom that God offers us. At the same time, it's the kind of kingdom where God says, hey, I'm giving you some talents and some treasures. What are you gonna do with them? Because I'm gonna hold you accountable to that. It's that perfect blend of love and authority, love and accountability, responsibility, relationship and responsibility. And so what God invites us to do is we see this through the parables that Jesus teaches all throughout the gospels is that his kingdom of God is, wants to come into the world, but through our influence, not through force, right? In fact, Jesus paints us pictures of the kingdom of God being kind of like yeast in, in dough, that once you put it in there, it begins to permeate the whole thing and it eventually is part of the whole thing. It's influence, it's first century influence. You, we thought influencers is a 21st century thing, but Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The way the kingdom of heaven, the way the kingdom of God is gonna advance in this world is through you influencing it from within. Jesus tells stories of a parable like of a seed. It's, it's a mustard seed that you plant in the, in the ground and almost nobody notices it. But when it begins to grow, it becomes the largest of trees that provides shade to all the birds of the air. In other words, the kingdom of God is something that, that subtly, slowly begins to grow and impact the world around it, transform the world around it with goodness and beauty and wholeness. And that's the kind of influence that Jesus invites us to when he says, pray the kingdom of God would come. But let's really, let's really break this down personally for us and say, well, why would Jesus pray this, right? Because we can, we, I think we can capture, we can understand that in heaven, there's a perfect blend of God's love and authority, you know, and, and there's obedience and there's perfection and there's goodness and there's nothing that can go wrong in heaven. I think we all can get that, but why does Jesus pray that the kingdom of God would come to earth as it is in heaven? Uh, what is Jesus talking about? And, and, and does Jesus realistically understand what we're up against? When's the last time Jesus has seen the condition of our earth? Because he's praying, heaven, come down to earth. And, and I thought instead he should pray, he should teach us to pray, Father, get us out of here, right? Things are so bad, we need to get out of here. Take us to a better place. I thought that would make more sense to pray. But Jesus knows what he's talking about 
And, and, and whereas in my mind, I'm thinking not that up there should come down here. Uh, because if, he, if, 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 if up there comes down here, you know, what's going to happen? We're going to mess up. <laughs> We're going to mess up the up there. So I think of it that way. But Jesus says, pray that the kingdom of God would come here. Well, let's look at that. Why does Jesus teach us to pray that? We just sang about it, all right? And we're gonna break down that song a little bit here, verse by verse. The song that said, do you feel the world is broken? And what's the answer? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. There is a brokenness that we feel and we experience deeply daily in our everyday lives. It's everywhere. I mean, you probably don't have to think very hard to think about where do we experience and feel brokenness and loneliness and the effects of sin and death all around our lives. As I was thinking about this, I flashed back to one of those times where I felt pain in the deepest part of my soul like I never had before. And it was as a teenager in high school when I read a letter showing, I came home and I read a letter from my father saying he was leaving our family and my parents eventually divorced. There was a pain, there was a brokenness there that, that was just so profound. I remember how it feels even to this day. Or of a few years ago, learning that my best friend from childhood, who's just a few years older than me, died of cancer after a long struggle with that. It just seems like brokenness and, 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 and hurt is just filled in our world. And we see it not only personally, right? We see it culturally, we see it in nations. We see things that are going on all around the world and just how awful things are. Even the earth itself is broken, you know, with, with these natural disasters, just killing thousands of people. We're saying, what is going on and, and how can it even be fixed? It seems pretty hopeless. And that's why I think this song resonates with us. We feel the brokenness in every wound, in every debt, in every shortcoming in our life, we feel the brokenness. And so this song resonates. But let me tell you that the chorus of this song doesn't really help <laughs> because the chorus says, is anyone worthy? And the cry of this chorus is actually a cry of desperation. John in Revelation chapter five is, is giving us a vision of heaven in this song that, that's, that's depicted in this song. And an angel asks the question, is anyone worthy? And the answer comes back, well, nope, doesn't look like anybody is. In other words, there is no hope. Nobody can solve this because I look around and I see that there is no hope. In fact, let's read this passage. It's in Revelation chapter five. This is where that song comes from. But this really ties into what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God coming and what difference it makes. Revelation 5, verses one through four, it says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now remember, Revelation is full of symbolism. It's full of images that are hard for us to understand. John is getting a vision of heaven and of the future for earth and humanity. And so there's something important about this scroll but it's sealed up. It has seven seals, in fact, and you can't open it. So let's read on to see what John sees. And he says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? 
But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Verse four, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. We may not understand the words that John is, is saying here, but we do understand that there's something important in the scroll. It's like the hope of humanity is sealed inside the scroll and, and, and God as king is holding it, but nobody can open it. So it's almost as if to say, there is no hope because it's in there, but it's locked away. And that's where the cry comes out. Is anyone worthy? It's a cry of desperation that I think resonates with our own hearts in our day-to-day -day reality when we struggle when we struggle in our relationships, when we struggle with our purpose, struggle with depression or all these different things that come against us, this song resonates with that. Is anyone worthy to open up hope and to show us the way forward? It's a cry that resonates with us that we live in a fallen universe, but that there can be a solution, right? That challenge you're facing, that, that impossible mountain you think nobody can climb, there can be a solution to it all but it's wrapped up in this scroll. It's wrapped up in a vault and no one knows the combination. Do you ever feel this way? Do you ever feel just stuck? Like there's hope somewhere, you know there is, but you just don't know how to get it. You don't know how to get it out of that vault. Is anyone worthy? Can anyone help us? Thankfully, Revelation 5 continues on and it says this. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So after that good news, John sees in verse six, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And here it gets a little strange, but just follow along. It's symbolism, all right? The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people our prayers of desperation are in this picture. You follow? They matter. God is hearing and God is going to answer. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that includes us, amen? You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The hopelessness turns into total hope, into full assurance because there is someone who can break the seals and open the scrolls. There is someone who can open that fountain of hope, who can open those answers that we're desperately searching for. And that someone is Jesus. There's lots of symbolism here, but we'll focus just on two. First of all, why is the lamb worthy? Jesus is called the lamb of God, right? But why is he worthy? And it tells us because he was slain and with his blood, he opened the door to relationship between God and all of humanity, between God and you, between God and me. 
He opened the door for every tribe and nation and language. Have you ever noticed that this is a distinct message of the Christian faith? Is that everybody is welcome. There is no one race better than another. There's no one tribe better than another. There's nobody to be excluded, but it's because it's God's hope for all of humanity. Therefore, all of humanity is welcomed. It's a powerful, powerful invitation that God gives to all of us. And it's, it's possible because of the perfect human sacrifice, Jesus himself, the lamb of God, giving his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So that's why the lamb is worthy to open the seal, but, but this lamb turns into a lion. And why is the lion able to open the scroll? Because he has triumphed, it tells us this. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus, who died on the cross, where defeat looked like it was ultimate and final, and that's the end of the story. In fact, that's what the disciples thought. They thought it was over. But the story didn't end there, right? The, the lion of Judah triumphed because three days later he rose again. And in his resurrection, Jesus inaugurated a new era. He inaugurated a new world. And he has initiated the coming of the beautiful, perfect kingdom of God. And some of you are probably looking at me like, what in the heck are you talking about? A new world? Another kingdom? What? do you mean? I thought Jesus' resurrection is just, you know, he, he wins and he goes to heaven and, and that's all. But no, Jesus' resurrection, actually he, he resurrected bodily so that he could show us that that's going to be our future, our fate as well. And to initiate this truth that the new world is already here, that the kingdom of God can come. And it's why we sing in that song, do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from breaking through? We do. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Because if we remind ourselves of this, we have an enduring hope that no one can take away. But where does that lead us to? It leads us to the second point here, and that's that the kingdom of God is both present and future tense. That song says, is a new creation coming? And the answer is, it is. But the good news for us now is not just that that new creation is coming, but that it has already begun. It is already here with us. It's both, the kingdom of God is both present reality and future hope. I hope you're getting that. The kingdom of God is both present reality and future hope. There's an image that... Um, that our, our, our friend Ronald here, he adapted it. He took it from the Bible Project. He adapted it for us. And I want to show it to you because it gives us the vision of what we're talking about here. It gives us a visual of this, where Jesus stepped into that first circle, which we called this age. And this age simply means history of humanity, what we've known since the beginning of time until now. We live in this age. But notice that into that first circle, Jesus comes in. The Son of God comes into our reality and he creates, he opens up a whole new world to us. He opens up a second circle, which the Bible calls the age to come, which the New Testament writers also refer to as the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which Jesus himself described as saying, the kingdom of God is here and it is within you. Jesus starts that second reality. He creates that second kingdom and he says, it's interacting with your kingdom now. And there's gonna come a day when Jesus returns and that first circle is closed forever and we live fully in that second circle, the age to come. But in the meantime, we're living between the two. 
And so this is where I want to say that this is why Jesus tells us to pray for his kingdom to come, even now in our lives. And I'll, and I'll give you two reasons why he tells us that. First, because it can the kingdom of God can come into our lives. Jesus is worthy to open the scroll and therefore the answers that you're seeking for, the hope that you long for is available. You don't have to wait for heaven. It's already available now. The kingdom of God can come into our daily lives. We can live the countercultural principles of the kingdom of God. We can live the priorities of the kingdom of God we can live the practices of the kingdom of God in our lives. And you'd say, well, what does that look like? It looks like stuff that you already know is good. You just haven't related it to the kingdom of God, right? But what does that mean to, look, to, to live that way? It's to choose honesty. It's to choose integrity. It's to choose love. It's to choose peace and justice and fairness and beauty. It's even as simple as choosing order. Because our universe, everything naturally falls towards disorder, right? Everything in creation naturally falls towards chaos. We know biblically it's because of sin and death. Science is still trying to figure out why does everything decay? Why does everything fall towards chaos? The Bible tells us it's the effect of sin. And so even giving order to our lives is a reflection of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world. And that's why we wash our cars. Yeah, you heard me right. That's why we wash our cars, right? Because why wash your car when the next day it's gonna rain? Because it always happens that way, right? And you think, well, rain should help. No, rain leaves it spotty and it makes it dirty. Or you drive through mud or somebody splashes you. Why do we wash our cars when it's gonna get dirty again? It seems pointless. Uh, do any animals do that? I mean, animals do, you know, they create nests and they create habitats, but they don't look to see how they can improve it. There's no home improvement for animals, right? There's something in our human nature about making things better, making things beautiful, making things shine, even if it's only for a day. Where does that come from? That comes from this second kingdom that is now at work in and through us. It's kingdom of God values that go against the natural order of decay, chaos, and disorder. It's why we wash our cars. It's why we mow our grass, even though weeds are gonna keep popping up. It's why we plant flowers. It's why we rebuild after disasters. It's why we work out. Okay, maybe not we. It's why you work out because I can't say I do that on a regular basis. You know, you know, you're not gonna be perfectly healthy forever, but you work out because it makes a difference today. It's why we fight for justice. It's why we do what is right, even if it only lasts a day. It makes a difference this day, and it points to the coming glorious day when everything will forever be right when your lawn will forever look perfect and there'll be no weeds, when your car will forever be clean. And of course, I'm just using those examples, but there is a day coming when all will be made new and right and perfect. And so Jesus tells us, pray for the kingdom of God to come, first of all, because it can. And it does in our choices in day-to-day -day life when we choose the values of the kingdom of God. But secondly, he tells us to pray that because it will because it is still coming. When we live in the reality of the kingdom of God, when we reflect that in our day-to-day -day life, it points to the future, to a glimpse of that glorious day when the fullness of God's kingdom will come.
and he will dwell with us. Earth will be fully made new. All will be made right again. We all long for that, don't we? I think humanity longs for that. You don't have to be a Christian to long for for this perfect world when everything is good and beautiful and whole. But as Christians, we long for that because we know it's coming and we can give glimpses of that in our everyday life. This is what it means that, that the kingdom of God is both present and its future. But just like all those other worlds that I told you about, This is something that we could easily ignore and miss out on if we don't focus and understand what it looks like in our lives. When Jesus comes again, he will close that first circle, the first age, and we will live fully in the second. But in the meantime, we are living in between the two ages as if we have one foot in one and one foot in the other. And there's another world that is not seen by most people. It's that kingdom of God. But as children of God, we should be very much aware of it And we should look to see how can we live differently? How can we live with kingdom of God values so it shows our hope to the world? And there are huge implications of this, but we'll close with just two. And that is that the kingdom of God transforms both individuals and societies. Obviously, if you, if you bow to Jesus and you say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in all areas of my life as it is in heaven, then you're gonna change. You're gonna be transformed. Your choices will look different from perhaps your choices in the past or the choices of others around you who don't follow Jesus. It's not only, because the gospel doesn't only make us sons and daughters of God, it calls us to be ambassadors. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? That God says, you are my ambassador. And what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the values and the priorities of the king to the nation in which he or she lives. Jesus says, you are to represent me and my values in the world around me. You are my ambassador. And so it not only should radically transform our lives, but it should should show to others what the kingdom of God looks like. You know, and it's easy to, to maybe feel a little bit guilty or to feel pressure when it comes to this. Please don't hear that. Please understand that, that what Jesus is inviting us to is to just know him better and make him known. Right? Understand his ways and try to practice them. And as we try to do it, even as we imperfectly fall and try again, then we will reflect more and more the values of the kingdom in our lives and to those around us. But it transforms individuals. One extreme example of this is the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If any of you have ever heard of him, Bonhoeffer lived in Germany in the 1930s. He was a pastor. And it was a time when the German church had grown cold and oblivious to Hitler's evil. But Bonhoeffer and his contemporaries stood up against it because he was a transformed individual. He understood the times and he recognized, no, the kingdom of God principle here is to stand for the persecuted. It's to stand for those who are being mistreated. And he gave his life for that. But that's the kind of thing that reflects the kingdom of God and its value more than the kingdom of this world. But not only does the kingdom of God transform individuals, it should also transform systems and structures in society. Because as we as individuals begin to live out kingdom of God principles, we begin to shape and transform society, even if it's only for a short time. 
And again, remember I said, this is not by force, it's by influence, right? We can reflect kingdom priorities and practices which make the world a better place. God calls us to this. So wherever you go day to day, wherever you spend 40 hours a week, God is saying, I wanna touch that place with my values, with my principles. And he wants to do it through you. Abraham Kuyper was a Dutch philosopher in the 1800s, a theologian. He's quoted by Tim Keller, by Chuck Colson, by a lot of other contemporaries, and especially this quote where he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus wants to bring his rule and his reign, that perfect blend of God's love and authority into every square inch of society. And how is he gonna do that? Through you and I who live in every square inch of those places. So Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, because the Father, the King, wants to bless every sphere of society with his truth and his ways. Uh, we take the implementation of this reality for granted because this has actually been going on for the last 500 plus years. You know, stop and think about why people from a lot of different nations want to go to Europe, want to go to the United States. It's not just because we have McDonald's or Starbucks or those things. It's because without us even realizing it, people since the Reformation onward have tried to implement kingdom of God principles into society, into how cities are structured, into our laws and into, into all of our structures. And because of that, there are places in this world that people say, I need to go there because it's better there. We take this for granted, but we would do well as Christians to examine, wow, we can actually have an impact in society and make it a better place, even if only for a day, even if only for a season. It's been going on for hundreds of years and we're called to continue that today. The kingdom of God, let it come in our lives, and through us so that it blesses the world. Let's pray. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'd like to just invite you to take a moment now to respond. If there's anything in this message that caught your attention, if there's anything in this message that is kind of sitting in your heart or in your mind, just ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I respond? And I just want to ask you, what impact does the kingdom of God have on you? Are you aware of it? Do you know that it is here and it is now for you as a believer? And do you know that you can demonstrate the kingdom of God to those around you and make a difference, even if just for a day? So what will you do? I wanna invite you to consider three things. One, you can give your life to Jesus. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you can't, you can't have part of this kingdom of God. You're not into it. You're not in it if you don't say yes to Jesus first. So today's the day. Jesus is inviting you. Come into my family and let me show you a whole new world. Let me show you my kingdom. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want to encourage you to pray right now. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you rose again. That's amazing. And because of that, you, you, you're bringing a whole new world. Help me to see this world and to live in it and to live for you. 
in Jesus' name. If you've already given your life to Jesus, maybe you need to ask God to show you his kingdom and how his principles can live through you in your work, in your life, in your daily place. And maybe there's some of us here who can think of people and places where we know we need to see the kingdom of God come in. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you do, that you didn't just prepare a heaven for us that we can look forward to, but that you brought your kingdom to work in this earth, even now in our lives to give us hope, to give us a better way. I pray that we would embrace that, that we would say, yes, every day your kingdom come, your will be done in me, through me on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, let that radically transform us so that we can have an impact, a beautiful impact in the world around us. And Lord, we pray for friends, for family, for places. We think of places around the world like Sudan, Afghanistan, places that are experiencing disaster. Lord, have mercy and let your kingdom come. Even for a day, bring hope, bring goodness, bring light. And we thank you that you're doing this even now in Jesus' name.